page 795, Romans 5, verses 1 to 5 reads, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Amen. About the sort of the switched onness temperature, and it could be me just sitting at the back. But I was like sitting there going, I've got an uphill struggle here today, people. Have I got an uphill struggle? <laughs> you bunch of losers. <laughs> you got to listen to me, haven't you? Oh dear. Okay, so it's going to be one of those days. Well, listen, hopefully, by the end of opening this bit of the Bible. Hopefully, it won't still be one of those days, because we have actually got something pretty special here. All right. Now, I don't know, um, you know, sometimes... Um, I, listen, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. I know what it's like going into a meeting and sort of really sort of being a little bit sort of... Um, almost like, I'm here, isn't that enough? The answer's No. And I know it's a battle, and I know it's hard, so I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes need to pray, okay? I take it that the Lord is the present Lord, who's the Lord of glory. I take it it's more difficult when we've had a hard week. I take it it's more difficult when it's cold outside. I take it more, it's more difficult when the kids have been kicking off. I take it it's more difficult when there's less chairs full. So as a dynamic and as an impact, doesn't it? So this is just a little reminder, and I'm preaching to the converted here, but... If you're absent, people do feel it. It makes a difference as to how they engage with who God is. And it sort of shouldn't be that way, but let's be honest about the reality. It is. So I take it that if you've got any commitment to being here today, would you screw yourself up right now as we pray and let's pour out our hearts to the Lord and say, please, would you help us? We've just sung together. We want to see you. Let's pray that now, okay? Let's all bow our heads together and pray. Lord, we need your help today. Uh, Lord, many of us are spiritually indifferent. Uh, please help us to be less so. Many of us, Lord, have got other cares and concerns that are occupying our heart and mind, and they, they insist that they're the most important thing. But Lord, we realise that we know your promises and we know you're the most important thing. Lord, we feel a long way from where Jesus is, as the one who is high and lifted up. And we pray, Lord, that by your spirit and your word open before us, you would help us. Lord, would you help us? Would you build us up? But even more important than that, Lord, would you show us your glory, that we would give to you what is due to your name? So please help me as the speaker. Help us all as we seek to listen and sit together under the authority of your word for the delight of our soul and the honouring of your name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm sometimes loath to talk about people who aren't from our, um, our country, but I'm guessing you, you may well know this person. If I say the name Jay Leno, 
Does anybody know who Jay Leno is? Okay, a few of you help us out. Go on, Kev, give us a shout. Who's Jay Leno? An American talk show host. Good. What else is he known for? He likes cars and motorbikes. Good answer. Okay, so he's a bit of a petrol head. He's probably in his late fifties. Um, but what he, what's pro- probably lesser known about Jay Leno is what his, his family background is. Uh, I'm guessing you probably don't know that his his mother was Scottish. Her name was Cathy. She was born in Scotland, um, and she had a really difficult upbringing. Uh, family broke down at really uh, when she was very young. Um, she also struggled in school. She really struggled with the basic things of reading and writing. Um, and she was very relieved when at the age of 10 her dad said, right, we're leaving Scotland, we're moving over to America, and the family moved there. But the brokenness of her, 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 her start in life really affected Cathy. She continued to struggle in school, um, but she settled into America. She eventually found uh, a wonderful guy who would marry her. Uh, they got married, uh, and it wasn't till then that she thought about trying to establish American citizenship. Uh, so, with her husband, she was very she was scared silly about this because back in those days, if you wanted to be get the status of being an American, you had to take a written exam, and it was basically a test of how how American were you, and if you got uh, if you got four of the questions wrong, you were in the clear. But if you got five questions wrong, you didn't get the status. You couldn't. Um, you, you weren't allowed to be an American citizen. Okay. So she went along. She had her husband with her, but he wasn't allowed to help with the exam. She went along and took the written exam. And at the end of it, they're up in front of a judge, and the judge there checks the answers and says whether or not you can become a citizen. Uh, so Kathy's sitting there and. The judge went through her answers, looked at it and said, sorry, five wrong. You can't be a citizen of the United States of America. At which point, Kathy's husband kicked off. Let me see the paper. Ran up, grabbed the, I mean, it's pretty bold really with the judge. Ran up, grabbed the bit of paper, went through, went through, went through, went through. Hold on, you can't say that's wrong. Because it's right. The question was, um... What, what is the Constitution of the United States of America? Now, Kathy had written down a boat. Judge says, it's wrong. The Constitution is our founding document and defines what it means to be an American. No, she's not. She's right. It's a boat. You can go to Boston Harbour. It is sitting in there. There is a boat. HMS, uh, HMS Constitution in Boston. So she got it right. And the argument goes back and forth for about five minutes. And finally, the judge goes, OK, 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 OK. She's had it right. She's only got four wrong. Gavel down. Bang. You're a citizen. Get out my time. And, uh, get out my face. Stop wasting my time. And Kathy, she went out. She got picked up her paper, paperwork. But she was deeply, deeply upset. She knew she was wrong. And she said to her husband, this will sooner or later catch up with me. Now, this went on to trouble her for the rest of her life. In fact, her son, Jay Leno, said this. My mother worried about this till the day she died. If ever she got stopped for a traffic ticket or violation, she assumed that the officer of the law knew and she was about to have her citizenship removed and get kicked out. Or when she was in the vicinity of a police officer, she quaked, fearing that she knew that... um, uh, and just remembering how, how her husband had had to bully, bully a judge to get her in. Years later, she actually visited Scotland and she, actually, she, uh, she asked me, Jay says, will I still be able to get 
back in. And he said to her, Ma, that was nearly 60 years ago. They don't know that you said a boat. And her reply to that was, well, sometimes they just want to get rid of you. Do you feel insecure today? I think there's millions of things that can make us feel insecure. There are millions of things that can make us feel like somebody or something just wants to get rid of us. Or we're going to get found out. Or sooner or later, something will catch up with you. The idea of having your status of things just about being how you want them to be. It's almost too good to be true. You've got it, but you're fearful. Somebody's going to find out. Maybe because of something you did in the past. Maybe something because of something you're doing in the present. Or maybe something you'll do in the future. Oh, they will actually find out that I don't really deserve to be in this place. You'll get found out, it'll catch up with you, and you'll be done for. We live in an incredibly insecure world. Can I tell you that the Apostle Paul knew that when he wrote the book of Romans? And what should encourage our hearts even more is that God knows that you and I live under that fear. That sense that they want to get rid of you. Or that something will catch up with you. And knowing that, in this book of Romans, the Apostle Paul wants to do everything he can to make it easier for you to know how secure you can be with God. Sometimes you may get the sense that sooner or later God wants to get rid. Or you can do something that will mean that you will get rid. It may not have been the answer, boat. But actually, you, you get there's moments, aren't there, that come in life where you get that deeper sense of your unworthiness and that you don't deserve and that you're going to get found out. And that maybe God is just because God is God. He's had to be nice to you up until this point. But then, well, beyond there, a, a point will come when it will all come crashing down. Can I tell you, God knows your fear. The Lord is gracious. He doesn't treat people like that. He doesn't want to leave you dangling. He wants you to have a sense of confidence that you can be right with him through Jesus Christ, come what may. He isn't going to leave you dangling there. He doesn't want you to have this sense of, oh, what if? Now, I know to some people that may sound cocky. It might sound arrogant. How can you definitely know for sure that you're in with God? In fact, there's whole versions, fake versions of Christianity, where, where, where people keep on going along to church or doing their little bit just because they're really fearful that God will get rid And actually churches play off people's fears and manipulate them that way. Religious people will do that to each other. Sometimes you may even have done that with with your Christian friends or or, or with people within your family. You've sort of said, oh, I don't know. Well, if we might be like that, or religious institutions might be like that, or churches might be like that, God isn't. He wants us to know that we are totally, totally, if we believe in Jesus, if he is our Lord and Saviour, then we are totally, totally safe in his grace. And that's what this little bit of the Bible is here to help us begin to work into us. The result will be rejoicing, boasting, and we're going to see that in a minute. The fact that we have got this status that cannot be taken away from us. You can lose your American citizenship. You cannot lose God's promise to you through Jesus Christ. 
So please, let, let's go back to this bit of the Bible. Let's read it through. It's only five verses. Could somebody please, nice and loudly, this is so important for us that we live in this, could somebody nice and loudly read for us verses 1 through to 5? Romans 5, verses 1 through to 5. Brilliant. Thank you for reading that. That's absolutely great. And it centers on those first few words there in verse, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Have you got any idea how, how ludicrous that is? I could rack up my kids here, put them on the front here, and get them to talk out, and it wouldn't take them very long to think about it, to talk about exactly what a failure I am as a father and in so many different domains. I could get my wife here... And she could speak for hours on end as to all the horrible selfless thing, uh, selfish things I've said, all the cruel words, all the actions that are totally motivated by my own se- um, self-interest. She could talk to you exactly about how little I love God and exactly how little I honour his name. And the problem is, is even, though, as, even as you listen to me say that that could happen, you're still thinking, well, but you're probably not as bad as some people. Doesn't that count for something? No, not against the fires of a holy God. Because God is perfect in his whole, he blazes perfection. He's like one of those furnaces that if you put something there that is impure, it just gets vaporized. I could, on my best, 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 best day, if I was to be somewhere near the presence of the living God, on my best day, I would last less than a millisecond. And that's why those words are so amazing. Since we have been justified through faith. You realise what justification is? Justification is a declaration that a guilty sinner can stand in the presence of God. Do you get that? A guilty sinner can stand in the presence of God. How the monkeys could that happen? Martin Luther, you'll know he was that monk in the 15th century, massive big brain, legally minded, and he spent the first part of his life in absolute terror. Scared stupid he was. Because he, he, he knew the righteousness of God. This righteousness of God, he got a sense that God was holy and perfect and righteous. And he hated God for it because he knew that it was, just a, it was just a matter of time before he would have to meet God and he would have nothing to say. He would have no defense. And he hated God for it until he read this book of Romans. And he began to realize that the righteousness of God wasn't just something that God demanded of people. It was something that God gave to people. And suddenly his whole disposition towards God changed. And he said this, I came to love God when I realized that righteousness wasn't just something God required, 
But so it was something that God provided for guilty sinners who had that, knew they had no hope elsewhere. If you're a believer today in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been justified. Three quick things about that. Since we have been just, it's a done deal. It's a status. It is not dependent on your past, your present, or your future. It doesn't, it, your, your behavior doesn't come into it. What you bring to the deal doesn't come into it. It is a done deal. Wow. Wow. There's ways in which, you know, on a day-by-day basis, I wish I could be justified by my wife, as in uh, before my wife. Because she knows what she knows what I'm like. We've lived together for so long. She knows exactly what I'm like. And bless her, she's wonderful. She puts loads of the things and loads of the things of what I'm like in the back of her mind. She doesn't count them against me. But I can never be just as if I've never sinned because I have sinned, and it's there. That record is before her. But when the Lord Jesus looks upon me, it's not. Sorry, when the Lord looks upon me, because he looks upon the righteousness of the Lord Jesus, that's all he sees. All of Jesus' merits are there. It's as if I've never sinned. Wow. Wow. It's a done deal. It has been done for us. That's it. Since we have been justified through faith, it is the work of God and it is not the work of you. That is why... And this is so unnerving, isn't it? Because the way in which we get people to try to improve and work upon themselves is by telling them that they need to do something, that they need to measure up better. But this is all about the fact that it's a done deal and it has been done for us. Therefore, the only way we receive it is by faith. It is a gift. It depends totally on another. So we will be a people of faith who are deeply humbled by the fact that, well, we've had this done deal, it was done for us, we contributed nothing, all we can do is receive it. That is what it means to be justified. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, it's almost unbelievable. Since that has happened, he's now going to just throw out a load of things that that means for us. Okay, This is where we take, it's like take it to the bank stuff. It's always one of our difficulties, isn't it? It looks like cold doctrine, but what does it actually mean? What difference will it make? Well, here it is, okay? I've only got, I've got five quick things, okay? Five quick things. Some of them are very short, some of them are slightly longer. Five quick things that we get, okay? The first one comes up in verse one. Peace with God. Did you realize you used to be an enemy of God? But now we have peace with God. Peace in the Bible isn't just the end of hostility, I don't know whether you have those moments in your house. Maybe you've been sort of, something's not gone quite right between you and the kids or you and your parents. And yet you've stopped giving each other the evils. But it's certainly not peaceful. Do you know what I'm talking about? It hasn't been, the full enjoyment of relationship has not been quite restored. Well, according to this, God isn't in a huff with you. You know that thing where you're both in a huff with each other. He isn't in a huff with you. As far as he's concerned, you have, believer, peace with God. That's what you got. Peace with God, restored relationship, hostility is done away. Peace with the perfect king of the universe. Wow. Second thing that we have is there in verse 2. 
access to grace, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, if peace with God is something that has been achieved with us uh, for us in the past, we have it now. We're no longer enemies. We're uh, we're in good relationship with God. This is something that we enjoy in the presence right now. You have access to this domain, this situation of grace. Now, like, we, we we need to unpack this a little bit. First thing to say is gaining of access. Our culture tells us to be jealous of places that you can't get into. Okay, so think of some of the places that you cannot get into. Okay, uh, well. You tell me, what are some of the places that you cannot get into in our country? Or maybe some of the, the status and the relationships that you cannot get into. Or the people that you cannot get near. Come on, give me some examples. Where can't you get near? Say that again. Buckingham Palace. Ten Downing Street. Okay, I'll let anybody in there these days. Uh, where else? The police station, you can't get in. I thought most people want to get out. Okay, police station. Yeah, you haven't got the lock and key. You haven't got the status. You can't get in. Good, what else? Good, I was hoping. Oh, thank you. That's so helpful. Because that's the one I think is the most pressing. you got all these shiny, happy people with too much makeup on and had too much Botox. And you're told they're the people to be identified with, to see with. You want to be on the same stage with them. You want to be in the same celebrity parties. And if you're at the party, you want to be at the after party. And whatever else that goes on. They're going to, you know, February will come around. It'll be awards night. And they, 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 they hold up all the movie stars as if to go, you can't get in. They've even got one of those pens, haven't they, outside the, um, uh, uh, the, the big theatre, the Kodak theatre, where they do the Oscar thingy, where they sort of fence in the plebs. While all the special people arrive and they get to be carried in, they get given access because they're shiny, don't you know? That's a really good example. There's certain places at Anfield I'd love to be able to get in. I love it when Matty rings me and says, Steve, do you want to go to the match this week? Because he know, I know I can dress like a scruff. And Matty will come along with his, t- his tickets to the director's lounge and he'll, he'll just march in nonchalantly with that same nonchalant face he's got on right now. Okay. Um, and, and you get the ticket and you, and you just go. And the big, ugly security guard moves out the way, even holds the door open. And then you get walk up through the steps and then you go to the director's lounge and there's all these sort of C-grade Liverpool celebrities dressed up to the nineses because they're so privileged. They've probably had to pay loads of money to get in or sort of do dodgy favours. And Matty just walks in in his scruffy tracky, taking me behind him. <laughs> and we get in and we get all the food because we've got access. And can I tell you, it was through nothing that I did. I didn't have to pay a penny. It is because I'm in this glorious relationship with Matty. And it's awesome. And Rachel's like, why don't you take me? And it's like, great. I get food and it's just, I'm standing. I've got access by grace. There is nothing I deserve to get there. I mean, admittedly, the illustration breaks down because if I start throwing the food around the room, all the, all the other C-grade, you know, I'll get kicked out. But what we've got here is we've got access into the throne room of heaven, which is, by nature, a domain of grace. And it unsettles you. And the reason it unsettles you is because none of your other relationships really carry the domain of grace. 
So to some degree, every other relationship you've got, maybe it's your working life or your school life or your friendship life or to some degree even your family life is shaped by whether or not you keep your end of the deal, whatever the agreed deal is. So you'll keep your job, your status will be fixed, you'll have access as long as you do the work that's required to get the pay. Okay? If not, you get the sack. Or in your friendships, you have to, to some degree, there'll be a measure of loyalty, but I've seen this tested to the limit. And even some of the best, best friendships, if you don't quite deliver on the deal, or you're persistently really annoying and high maintenance, sooner or later, see ya. That isn't a domain of grace. It's still a domain of works and law. That isn't a domain of works and grace. It's still a domain of law. Because your, your behaviour will sooner or later affect whether or not you're in that relationship. But what does the Bible say? Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we are in relationship with the living God, not on the basis of our performance or anything we can and can't do, but on the basis of the achievements of the substitute. And because he has a perfect record, and because that perfect record is applied to us permanently, we stand in grace. So I don't know whether you came into the building today having had a good week spiritually. I doubt it. (laughs) Okay? I don't mind saying that. I doubt it. Can I tell you, you have got just as much standing before the eyes of the living God right this second as if this was your best day. By the way, your best day isn't that great. Can I tell you, this is absolutely wonderful failures. Any failures out there? Can I remind you, this? Thank you for your honesty, those of you who've agreed. Okay, you're looking at one. There are ways to fail, and of course we, we, we tend to we, we, we tend to you know mess around with the standards. Can I tell you there's two standards of failure? I'll show you the two standards. The one is you don't you don't uh, sorry you do something you shouldn't have done. Okay, so maybe this week you have utterly trashed somebody, or you have um, uh, I don't know been dead reedy. Or you have told lies. Okay, so maybe you came in today with the weight of that kind of failure. You, you, you didn't measure up. You did something you shouldn't have done. And in that regard, you are a failure. And you fear that God is saying, um, you're best sorted out or you're going to be under threat. I might get rid. Can I say if you're that kind of person today, you don't relate to God through that category anymore. You're in a domain of grace. Don't even talk to him about that. You're in a domain of grace. Oh yeah, what you did was terrible. But you don't relate to God through what you did. You're in a domain of grace. It don't even belong here. And then there's the others of you who, if this is the one over here, and your failure is by something you did that you shouldn't have done, some of you over here, and this is the harder one to spot, isn't it? There are things you should have done that you didn't. And I'm not just talking about what's written on your to-do list. There are ways in which you should have moved towards people. You should have told of God's glory. You should have reached out to sinners. You should have prayed. You should have read the Bible. But you didn't. So here's the, over here, here's the things that you, 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 know, you shouldn't have done, but you did. And here's the things you should have done, but you didn't. Do you get that? 
Is there anybody still left in the room who's not a failure? <laughs> Listen, we're a room full of total monumental screw-ups. There should be at least a little smirk breaking on the side of your face to say, at least I don't relate to God that way. Because I've got access into this domain where the, it's all by grace. All of it by what Jesus has done. I stand on his finished work. So every now and again, every now and again, I'll either say to somebody or you'll say to somebody, so are you a Christian? And if they say, well, I'm trying, what does that tell you? It tells you they haven't got a clue what a Christian is. Because a Christian isn't somebody who's trying. A Christian is somebody who's got a new status given to them as a gift by Jesus. They are in a domain given access by grace. Isn't that wonderful to know? So that's the second thing. Let me go a bit quicker on the next one. The, the, the next one, though, we can see, see at the end of verse 2. Somebody read the clause at the end of verse 2, second half of verse 2. Somebody read that for us, please. Brilliant. It says, does it say boast in your version? What version have you got there? Is it? Is it the new? Oh, it's the new NIV. Okay, brilliant. Okay. Uh, in the old NIV and also in the ESV, it, sa- it says uh, rejoice. I'll be honest with you, you're right. Okay. You're right. It's boast. Okay, so what are we actually boasting in? And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, do you spot a second ago? Peace with God, something done for us in the past. Access, presence. This is looking future. Can I tell you, the vast majority of your Bible is future-orientated, future-looking, which means we're hitting a problem. Because you and I are both hardwired and assaulted on a daily basis to only think happy thoughts if we've got what we want in the present. Am I wrong? We are an utterly now-centred society. i going to tell you, according to the Bible, death isn't a consolation prize. You know, we say that, don't we? You know, somebody dies and they say, well, at least they were able to travel. And they're dead. And they might be in heaven. Can I tell you that this place is a dump? All of your sorrows are because of the present. All of them. All of them. The present brokenness of the world, your own present sin, and the present struggles that come across your relationships and the things and your circumstances and your situations, all of it. And the problem is, is even as I say that, you sort of know that. And I read that voice and I, verse and it says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And I'm like, no, I don't. Because I get more excited about getting a new shiny bike than I do about going to heaven. I mean, what's wrong with that? We've got a real problem here because we're so present orientated but something's happening here says the apostle paul and we rejoice and we boast in the hope of the glory of god the hope of the glory of god is that day when he wraps up all of the created order battles down and batters out sin batters out brokenness lifts up jesus calls him his people to himself it's called glorification okay glorification it's the big bible uh, bible word the day when 
everything gets glorified and, and all that's broken is done away with. Does that make sense? So here we are, here we are, we've got people who know that they've now got peace with God, they've been given access into this grace, and then they're starting to see how rubbish the lies are that life can be found here, and they're just getting excited, they're boasting about a future thing. And I've been trying to think desperately, how do I help you connect with this a little bit? What I want you to do, I want you to think about the thing that is, is putting pressure on your life right now. Okay, Think about the thing that is making life difficult, hard, disappointing, empty for you. Perhaps it's, sorry? Health. I was about to say exactly the same words. Okay? Perhaps it's health. Alright? Perhaps it's an injury. Perhaps it's loneliness. Perhaps it's hostility in relationships that should not be that difficult. Perhaps it's the pressure of debt. Perhaps it's, oh it could be any number of things, couldn't it? Perhaps it's the fact that you just feel under threat and bad things could happen. Perhaps it's bullying. Perhaps it's, it's hardness in, in just so many different domains. If I could take that away from you, would you feel a bit more excited? Would you, would you feel a little bit more full of hope? According to this verse, whatever that thing is, Whatever the thing is you're thinking about, it won't be there on that day of glorification. I remember when we um, uh, we booked the tickets to go to the USA. You know, we went there a couple of weeks ago. We booked it way back in February. And I remember me and Jane looking at each other and sort of doing that sort of kid. Ah! We've booked it! We're going! Awesome! That was just a, the USA. Jesus has booked this for me. So this week, I want you to boast. What I want you to do is I want you to find some pagan to boast. I want you to get in their face. Okay? I want you to get in their face. I want you to go something like this. They're going to be moaning about, oh, I'll tell you what. My kids moaning and groaning. They never have enough. I haven't got enough money in the bank. <laughs> and you say back to them, it's... Sounds as if you're living in a world where there's relational tensions and difficulties. They go, ain't that the truth? And what you do is you go, ha! I'm going to a place where that doesn't exist. That's called boasting. Rejoicing in the hope of glory. And they'll look at you like you're a plank. And then you say, let me tell you about Jesus. Find somebody. Find somebody to try it out with. Boast that you've got this. You go into a place, no more crying there. No more pain. We boast in it. So I don't know what that thing is that you're thinking about. I really don't know. But what I want you to do right there, right now, is say quietly. I was, I was thinking of getting you like to say it out loud, but that would be far too much like you're actually engaging with the truth. So say it really quietly in your head and your heart, heart right now. Repeat after me quietly in your head. It won't be there. <gasps> Whoa, revival! Next, repeat after me. It can't touch me. Good on you. I will be free. 
I will be secure. That's where it's going to be. <laughs> Lastly, Jesus booked it for me. Are you there? Are you beginning to let your heart be softened? Are you beginning to warm your heart? Are you beginning to dare to think that there is something other than the present you can rejoice in? Oh, it's going to be the battle of your life, you know, because the second that you turn your eyes away from this, there'll be an advert telling you what you need now, or there'll be the bill that needs to be paid, or there'll be somebody else trying to bring you down. This is where we're supposed to live, because we have been justified. Do we get this? Do we understand it? We boast in it. We find a believer to boast in it too. Okay? Find a believer to boast in it about. It's going to happen, the hope of the glory of God. That was my longest one. You'll be very relieved to know. Very quickly, number four. What do we see next? And this one is, if you think the last one was hard, see the next one. Somebody read for us verses three and four. That, sorry, that, I know a minute ago I asked you to do some things in your head. This one's back out loud. Okay, somebody do verse three and four for us, please. Brilliant. Thank you for reading that. And I know it sounded totally... uh, What was that it just said? It said, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. That word is um, it's affliction. It's pressure that is being applied. It's the idea of feeling the squeeze. Has anybody felt the squeeze in anything this week? Thank you. Do you know, I'm so glad you're here, my mates, because at least we've got somebody with some honesty here. Okay, We're getting the squeeze, and it comes from multiple directions. And if there's one thing that you're taught by our culture you can never, ever do, is as you're feeling the squeeze, you may have something to boast and rejoice in. It's utterly unthinkable because in our culture, everything revolves around whether or not we're relieving the squeeze. I'm tired at work. Give me my sofa. I've, I've, I've not got, I'm not, I'm feeling bad about myself. Get me a new outfit. Um, I've got that person who's really awkward in my life. We'll get them out and find some people who are not, uh, less high maintenance in my life. Do we see that? That, that? That's our plan and our strategy. When we've got less squeeze, then we can rejoice and we've got something worth boasting about. Now, can I point out very clearly here that what it doesn't say is rejoice because of your sufferings. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, I'm being squeezed. Yay! It doesn't say that. What it says is, because of what we know, because of who we know, even as the squeeze comes, there can be a boasting and a rejoicing in the midst of it. The first one comes in what we just heard a second ago, that all those things, all those, those hardships, all those afflictions, all those things that, well, there's a day coming when they're not going to be there. But we also know that even as we wait for that day, our Lord of glory is doing something in the squeeze, in the pressure, in the hardship that will have eternal impact. Can you see it there? Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. There's something in it that the Lord uses to, to develop stickability. Okay, how does that all work? Well, well, perseverance, character, that word character there is sort of testedness or provedness. You've seen people who have been through the fire and they keep on going. 
And as that starts to happen, and as you go through through hardships, and yet you keep on clinging to Jesus and trusting his promises and looking to the day when all those things were uh, were gone, because he has bought your ticket to glorification, as that happens, and as you cling on at the times when relationships are hard, and when illness comes and disappointment arrives, and your own personal failure is there, and everything's hitting the fan around you, and you're clinging on there, the Lord does something in your heart, and you look back and go, I've stuck it through, that's a proof that he's with me. He is with me and he is for me. He is in it. So we don't celebrate suffering. But so great is the power and the mercy and the greatness of our God that even as we suffer, he's at work doing something and building us up in our hope. He builds us up in that hope. So please can I say this to you? It's really hard this, isn't it? There's even a book on it. Maybe some of you read the book. Please don't waste your suffering. Have you got somebody at school who's just making your life a misery? Don't waste that. Have you had something come into your world that you'd not planned on and as far as you can see, all it's ever going to do is just bring you down and make life horrible? Don't waste that. I'm not saying you've got to say yay. Don't waste it. Some of you over the next few months are going to get some really bad news. And the moment it hits, you'll feel like the bottom has dropped out of your world and nothing good can come of it. You're wrong. Because we worship a redeemer. When you get the chance, sit down with me and Jane. And we're really not happy that Jane's got a disabled shoulder and she's in constant pain every day and can barely sleep. And the likelihood is that's not going to change. We're really not happy about it. We're not going, yay. But sit down with us and we'll talk about all the ways in which the Lord has done great things through that. We'll talk about how he's built us up and about how he's been teaching us contentment. And he's been turning us away from our own self-absorption. And he's been helping us think about what's really important in life. And how he's helping us to keep going. That's only a small thing compared to what some people have to face. But this is what our God does. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? This is what God does. We are those who boast and rejoice, even in the midst of it. And can I tell you, you can do that with your friends who aren't believers. They'll be a little bit shocked. Why aren't you more angry? Why aren't you more bitter? How can God say he loves you? And you're able to say, let me tell you of a God. Who even when it seems so dark, he's going to come shining in with light to the point where afterwards I'm going to say, wow. Would you go on that journey of watching me? I'll keep pointing it out to you, my friend. I'll keep on telling you. I'll keep on showing you how God is being faithful through this. That was my fourth one. Very quickly, my me, me fifth one. Somebody read verse five for us. He shows us his great love. Somebody read that for me. Who's going to read that one for me? Brilliant. Has, has anybody got, uh, got a, different, a different sentence that, and hope does not disappoint us? Does it say something different in anybody else's? Has anybody got the one where it says, um, does not put us to shame? You got that one there. Why didn't you say it a minute ago when I asked, but well, somebody got a different one then. Okay. Doesn't put us to shame. Does anybody remember in the schoolyard when you were a kid? And you like, you're betting your life on something because you've had a bit of a row with somebody in the yard. Okay. And I don't, know what the, I don't know what the girl version of this is. In a minute, I'll get Jay to tell me. He can tell me the girl version of this. Or I'll get, I'll get 
Olivia, I reckon you've probably seen this one a few times. Okay, okay. Get the girl version of this. It's sort of like there's been a bit of grief, okay, and then there's sort of like there's two of you. You've had a bit of grief, and the, you know it's like the school bully there, and he's been a bit like this, and then everybody settled. It's all settled down a bit, and there's a few people standing round, and then the school bully comes to you and he goes, "No, honestly, mate, sorry, really, I was just messing. Here, let's be mates." And he puts out his hand, yeah. And you're standing there going, school bully, total scumbag, in front of all his mates, he's got his hand out. And what are you thinking? In, what are you thinking in your mind? 